You're listening to Tabletop and Beyond, Guild 9 Gaming Podcast, covering board games to war games and beyond. And welcome back to Tabletop and Beyond. I'm your host, Justin, and I'm here with the gang, Dan and Jason. Hey. Hey. Happy to have both of you here at the same time. It's been a little while. Mm-hmm. We're a team, a trio. Yes. I feel like our Captain Planet rings don't work as well when one of us is gone. Mm. <laughs> our powers combine. That's we can right. Turn into a weird green guy. That's right. It's uh, that was a weird show back in the day. <laughs> kind of, it was uh, it was you know they were kind of trying to make a statement at the same time as appealing to little kids, maybe brainwash us a little bit about how we're destroying our planet. It was heavy-handed. Let's I, let's just call a spade a spade. I remember when that shit, when that cartoon came out, like in, gosh, was I in elementary school or middle school? I can't remember, but I remember at uh, uh, at recess or lunchtime, kids were running around like screaming at kids that had styrofoam cups, like, "What are you doing? You're destroying the planet!" <laughs> nice, classic. The yeah. lunch lady gave me this yeah. cup. I'm on subsidized lunch. Yeah. Then you'd like crush the cup and they'd be like, you're releasing harmful gases into the ozone. <laughs> I just remember the dude was like, that had the fire. I don't even remember his name. He was like my favorite guy. But then as I look back, I'm like, fire. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> how helpful is that power? I mean, that's like a destructo power. Yeah. That's like know? the best one. Yeah, He's the guy and, who's going to get recruited by a real super team. Right. And, uh, you know, I mean, the thing is, it's like, let's help the planet by burning it to the ground. <laughs> right, right. Well, hey, I mean, you got to make room for the fresh plants. Yeah. I remember feeling aged out when that thing came out. I was like, oh, they're appealing to people younger than me. But I would have been right there had I been a few years younger. That was, um, for me, that was Power Rangers. I remember the yeah. first episode of Power Rangers, and I go, this show is not for me. <laughs> right? <laughs> and I and I was like, okay, and I went out and mowed the lawn. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, uh, yeah. But my brothers were into it, so I, you know, absorbed a little bit by default. I'm going to go so. do a man chore while you guys watch Power yeah. Rangers. <laughs> the transformation I, scenes are so yeah. fake. <laughs> I I couldn't get over the fact that like like in the scenes where it was like the lady, you know, um like she was speaking but it was like English but it wasn't matching her mouth. <laughs> so I'm like, what's <laughs> happening here? Like I don't understand. You know? So yeah, it just that was like one of the first real like um like Japanese to like American transposition shows. Do you know what I mean? Like that yeah. really became mainstream. And, um, like, I think I remember a bunch of us being like, that's so weird that, like, did they just take an old Japanese show and, like, make it American? You know, like, do a script for it? Or did they make it this way? Like, we could like we couldn't wrap our minds around it. I kept trying to reverse engineer Voltron because it was like we had known Vol- Voltron in a couple different, you know, mm-hmm. incarnations. Yep. Yep. And then it's like, well, this is live action. It's kind of like it, but it's not. Are we starting over, people? There was no logical, you know, I never got the briefing. I never got the memo of what the, the, the crosswalk between Power Rangers and Voltron. I guess there wasn't. But that's what made Power Rangers inferior to Voltron. Yeah. Well, I never could get into Power Rangers at all. Just wasn't my kind of show. No. I mean, you were definitely too old for it, right? It was a little, yeah. So. It was a little, little good. But Teletubbies. 
Hey. Hey. <laughs> That's your All right. Well, well, well yeah. we're already off. To, we're already off topic today. We never got on the rails. It's four minutes, three, four seconds in. The rails are nowhere close to this conversation. So today's episode is affectionately titled "Too Much Moolah." Can never yeah. have too much. Mm-mm. Can you though? Well, we'll discuss it. In the context of gaming. In the context of gaming. That's true. And can you have too much in real life? More money, more problems. That's true. I think the government makes it impossible. (laughs) Here we go. Here we go. Welcome to the Libertarian Show, ladies (laughs) and gentlemen. (laughs) Welcome to Tabletop and Beyond Politics. Oh, good stuff. All right. Well, of course, let's start with our Geek Week. Jason, why don't you kick it off for us? Hey, I played a game this uh, early. Early last week with my buddy Dan and uh, another one of our friends, we play RPGs with Sean. Horrified, right? And that was called Horrified. Yeah. So good. Oh, it sounds interesting. It was really a lot of fun, man. I, I've heard people say that it's like Arkham Horror Light. I think Dan, you said it's Arkham Horror, but fun. <laughs> <laughs> I like Arkham Horror. Don't I do too. Wrong. I like Arkham Horror when I'm if I'm in the mood for deep like lore storytelling, you know, kind of thing. But uh, and a punishing. billion components. Oh my gosh! Yes. Um, the setup which, alone, which all have a purpose, every yes. component. But uh, yeah, but um, no, man, really fun game. I really enjoyed it. It's like it's enough of that kind of creepy movie monster feel, but uh, the gameplay is really fast between players. Um, there's not really a lot of time for analysis paralysis. You just kind of, eh, I'm going to go here and I'm going to do this kind of a thing. And it's, it's pretty clear what the objectives are. It, you know, it's a fun game. Um, I, I, I would recommend, how much is it? It's relatively well-priced. It is not an expensive game. It is carried at Walmart and Target. Wow. Like 40 um, bucks so or can, something. You can put your hands on that game from a lot of different outlets. For a who, uh, price. who makes it? Who publishes it? I used to know that off the top of my head. Uh, well, let's see. Ravensburger. I think it's Ravensburger, but I'll okay. have to double check. Okay. Yeah, or five into the board game geek. Uh, oh, this is a second. Oh, the Amer- which one did we play? Did we play American Monsters or did we play the original? The OG. American Monsters is the follow-up standalone. Gotcha. Yeah, it's only, it's a, uh, looks like on Amazon, it's like 25 bucks. Wow. Yeah, it's a good value. Yeah, great value. Uh, it probably took, what did it take us, like an hour to play? Something we like kept that? it. We kept it. We realized we had been. They'd been using a house rule that accelerated everything. Right. So uh, we got done <laughs> in about forty-five minutes. It probably would have taken us another fifteen, and yeah. there would have been a couple more character deaths, which is fine in that game. You die. Yeah. You, you don't really die. You get beat up. You go to the hospital. You 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 keep going back and forth, yeah. and you move the condition track up. But it was fun. I mean, we we had three monsters on the board that we were trying to tackle at the same time as saving, uh, taking the citizens to their various destinations. And nice. uh, the monsters we had were the bride and Frankenstein and his bride, who were always like at opposite ends of the board, but trying to slowly make their way towards each other. And we had to like keep them from meeting up, and try to help them gain their humanity. Uh, and then uh, what, what, we had the mummy. And the mummy, and, and the Invisible Man, and the Invisible Man. So it was really oh. four monsters. So. That's true. Yep. Is it? Wasn't this a movie? Well, there's been a lot I mean, of movies all with of these them. guys. They, yeah. They, they used a lot of the. Vi- they used visuals straight from the Universal uh, yeah, classic yeah, yeah, horror yeah, yeah, movies. Yeah, but I thought that there was a literally a movie called Horrified. I'm sure there's a movie called Horrified. No, I know, there's but it, but it like, had like, 
but it had like the mummy Frankenstein. It was like basically like they came out of the um, oh, old timey movies in this one town. Hmm. And, oh, maybe. Um, no, now I don't think maybe it's not horrified, but um, interesting. I think we talked about this game though in one of our other. Um, I think we did. Yeah. Podcast. Yeah, I, I I profiled it maybe in a Geek Week or maybe something. It was great. I tell you yeah. what I really liked about it was the the simpleness of the components. It's just there was like nice. three or four main components in the game. Actually, only probably like two main components in the game. Just the chits that you're kind of trying to collect to accomplish stuff with, and then uh, your pieces. At the end of the day, like the cards are kind of there, but they don't really get in the way. So really great game. I liked it. Uh, anyways, that was one part of my geek week. The other part was uh, my. And this is funny. My daughter. Uh, my 14-year-old daughter has resisted our family's uh, uh, affinity to uh, Android <laughs> and has uh, been wow. constantly asking for an Apple phone. Uh, <laughs> and I keep wow. telling her, I keep, look, I'm not buying you an Apple phone. And can, she's I 14... ask, can I ask, does she watch MSNBC too? <laughs> no. <laughs> Come on, man. It, all they watch is TikTok and YouTube. You know that's that. True. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Um, but uh, so, so you know, as she's gotten older, we basically said, look, you know, when we provide your phone, we're going to provide you an Android phone. Uh, that's what we'll support. And she started to toy with the idea, well, what if I save up my own money now that I, you know, I'm 14 and I'm babysitting and all that stuff? Rolling in dough. And I was like, look, if you save up your own money and you can make a, you can make to me a good, strong, you know, um, uh, uh, financial f- uh, a case that makes sense, then then we'll talk about it, right? You need to show fiscal responsibility. I said that's the thing. I need to see fiscal responsibility. So she was always going going around saying like, well, I want an iPhone because it's better than Android. And uh, you know, it just does so many things that Android doesn't do. And I said, you know what, you you gotta you're gonna have to put some data behind what you're telling me right now. So yeah. I said, put because maybe in the early days when Android was still young and you know they were lagging uh, Apple by a year. Yeah. Then yeah, maybe. But I don't not today. Uh, once, so make once make Samsung, the case. Once Samsung started like Kinda becoming the, the flagship. Yeah. Instead of Google, right? Because it was, initially it was the Google Droid, remember? Yeah, I had and the uh, day one. Yeah. yeah, me too. Well, I don't know if I had day one, but I had the first uh, first Droid. You had the uh, Droid. I had the, yep. um, God, I don't remember what it was called now. It was the one that flipped up with a little keyboard on it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the and G1, I think. Okay. Yeah. So, um, But once Samsung really got into it, I remember there was a great little meme that um, uh, it showed. It's when Apple came out with their facial recognition. And they're like, wow, look at this revolutionary thing. And there's a little meme that was like Samsung that said like facial recognition. And then um, Apple looked at it and like took it and then wrote Apple on it and said, I made this. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So, so, all right. So listen, um, all right. So obviously Dan, who's been keeping relatively quiet here, I think is, is an, his yeah. family's an Apple family, but anyway, yeah, we get it. I've been an Apple family since from like the beginning, 19, yeah. from the original Apple, uh, yeah. from the original Apple. Yeah. Yeah. Apple. So I mean, we, I go, I had I go Apple. super way back. I, I, that, that's, that's my homeland. So I mean, you Dan know, we used Apple computers, loyal. you know, the, the monochrome Apple computers and, in, in like, you know, middle school yeah. and stuff like that. But, uh, Anyways, um, where I'm getting at with this is uh, finally I said you got to put your you got to give me some facts, some real data, 
because I'm really big on that in my house. When my girls, when my girl, and it seems to be my girls always, but when my girls come and they make all these claims, I'm like, where's that data come from? Well, I saw this TikTok video. Nope. You know, <laughs> that's not how it works. Yeah. So she, I said, you got a fact. <laughs> I said, you got to, you got to, you got to give me a presentation. You got to tell me why you actually really want an iPhone and I need to make and I told her I want to make sure this is not a fad for you you don't just want an iPhone because your friends have an iPhone you know tell me exactly why so she spent five hours putting together a PowerPoint presentation oh that's real I came home yeah yeah real work so I kind of went into this thing thinking gosh I she saved her own money she's put five hours into PowerPoint presentation like there's something's really got to be wrong here for me not to let her buy this phone just to reward her for her efforts you know so we went through the presentation and present she presented all this data and afterwards i picked probably 80 percent of it apart because she, she's making she was making you know claims like well in the iphone you can do special things when you text people and i'm like <laughs> you can do that on android it just depends yeah. and so anyways but we're not gonna get into that but so i probably tore apart almost all of our arguments Thanks, but at the end Dad. of the day I, at the end of the day i said look the main the main point you made to me was that the main reason you want an iPhone is because you like the user experience and you want to try that user experience out. I said, that is a valid reason for me. Android and iPhone present two different user experiences for handling your mobile device right now. And if you're interested in experiencing that with your own money, no problem. Go ahead, buy your iPhone. Just realize you're not going to get any tech support from me. (laughs) But go ahead go ahead you can have that experience and so she you know all yay yay and and dad you know thanks dad i love you the best and <laughs> all that stuff but <laughs> at the end of the day it just comes down to you know trying to help your kids understand like just understand why you're doing something and make sure you truly you know really want it to try to show so it's not just an impulse right yeah not just an impulse not just a fad not just a trend because your other yeah. friends have it my favorite one was well, with iPhone, you can do FaceTime, and you can't do – I was like, don't even start. There are so <laughs> many apps out there that achieve the exact same thing yeah. FaceTime yeah. does yeah. nowadays that are yeah. all cross-platform. Just but to clarify, I've bought many Android phones. I've owned Android phones myself. I've had Android phones from work. Um, what I'm using Apple for now the most is uh, my ability to lock – the the parental controls now yeah. have matured, and I, I and not not that I'm saying that that's not available to me on Android, but I have a very high fidelity on parental controls, and my wife and I are doing the same parental controls at the same control yeah. app, you know, the Screen Time app, and they those controls that I put on that kid. Jump over into their iPads. Jump over into their time on on an iMac, or, or sorry, on, on our on the MacBook. Mm-hmm. So if they're if they've been delegated four hours, it doesn't matter which screen they're on. It's keeping track of you know that total of four hours. It's, it, it, that's that's one reason why. That's one of the big reasons why I'm, I I deploy Apple phones to my kids right now or a- Apple devices to my kids is because I'm comfortable with my parental levers that i have it's not 100 percent good i have to support it with circle between circle and what's in the os yeah. I'm, i've got what i need i think um i think for me the um that i i'm very happy with the google family app like uh, it works family very link. well yeah the family link uh the only downside is that we have pc computers so we also have to run the um 
Microsoft version, which is not good. Like, I mean, you can set time limits and stuff like that, but it is a it is a clunky interface, and it is just yeah, it is not it is not nearly as good. Yeah, it's one nice thing is that the the it's across your desktop or laptop PC too with the Apple, whereas Google one, it's you kind of have to. I guess if we had Chromebooks, right? Like it wouldn't be a big deal, but we yeah, it does do it across my Chromebooks for the girls. So when they log in, it still tracks their time, but and and it actually tells me about their time on Windows, but when they're using the Chrome browser, but that's yeah. Yeah, I've, yeah. I've I've deployed Chromebooks to my kids too at different at different intervals. So I, I've I've used everything. I mean, I mean I've used Ubuntu in my house. Even I said, hey, yeah. I'm an Apple guy. I just I come from the Apple country. I just I, I go I I've, I I'm a tourist to all the other lands um, financially. So. <laughs> well, well said. And the, yeah, the last thing there was I told my daughter the, her my my number one requirement was that I could run the Google Family Link on her iPhone as well, so that I could still have parental nice controls. Research. And you can, as long as you're using iOS, I think it's ten or greater, you can sure. still do it. Yeah. Oh, man, that's good. good. I didn't know that. That's good research on her part. Yep. Yep, That's good great. stuff. So that was my Geek Week. It's always nice. fun to see your kids kind of advocate for themselves and, and see them, you know, kind of use their intellect as you've hoped that they've trained and worked through their logical reasoning and stuff. Anyways. You must use Very your good. intellect. <laughs> Dan, how was your Geek Week? Um, totally out of the blue. You know, I'm not a big cartoon. I'm not a big anime fan. I mean, I just can't really get into them like people get into them. And I've been aware of Cowboy Bebop for a long time. You know, the aesthetic is kind of cool, but I've never actually sat down and watched it. And I think the few times I have for a little bit, I've gone, well, it's okay, it's not for me. But I started watching the live-action version. I really liked it. I got through the first episode, and I'm going to stick with it and see where it goes. I think there's about seven or eight more episodes. I'm going to ride those babies out. Nice. Um, it was cool. I think the ideas translated into the big screen rather well. Um, I've heard uh, I've heard some mixed reviews, um, but I think nowadays you're always going to get mixed reviews. Like there's the hardcore fans that are like, ah, oh, they made his eye different than his other eye, or what, like yeah. whatever it is. You know what I mean? And you're like, oh my gosh, just like enjoy it for what it is. You know. And that's kind of so. what well, I'm coming at it completely as a sci-fi geek, not as an anime geek. Uh-huh. So I'm kind of like a blank slate. I'm like, well, who is this and what's their deal? And uh, it uh, it holds up. It's kind of interesting if you're if you're not familiar with it. So nice. I'll keep watching it. See, and I'll tell you where I get to. I did get to the end of Foundation, by the way. It was strong all the way to the very end. Every episode was a total masterpiece. So um, uh, if anybody wants to get their Apple, uh, their their week free, whatever, just to watch it, I I would recommend it. <laughs> or or just be able to pay five bucks. Or just kick in the five bucks. <laughs> right. yeah. Five, five bucks. bucks for a month. I mean, for a yeah. Month. yeah. Yeah, and once again, it's that's a, that's uh, designed to be viewed in 4K. Um, and, oh yeah, it's a beautiful you know, show. Dolby Vision, Dolby Vision. So uh, go check beautiful it out if, if that's inter- it. The great thing about it was it was the inspiration for Dune. It was the inspiration for Star Wars. It was the inspiration for twenty other things. And so you can see the genetics of other things in it, um, and that that's enjoyable for me. You know, cool. I, you, you don't you don't watch and go, oh, oh, look, look, they're ripping off Star Wars. You stop and say, oh, Star Wars ripped this off. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know, yeah. same with Dune. You know, so it's great. Um, my daughter, Cowboy Bebop, is my daughter's second favorite um, all-time uh, anime. Oh yeah. She's watched it over multiple times. Yep. 
There you go. Hmm. Yeah, so I've I I have been able to get part way through if there's it's I can't remember if it's season one or season two. It's one of those where there's like a million episodes a season. Uh and it's like I can get deeply into Cowboy Bebop and every every so many years I'll pick it up and try it again and I always get to the same point and lose interest in the <laughs> anime. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's the thing is, you know, like I never let reading a book ruin a movie, so I won't read the book if I know the movie's coming out. Yeah. If, if there's a live-action version, I'm not going to watch the anime. <laughs> I don't want to ruin yeah. it. I don't want to ruin the live-action. Yeah. Uh, I'm calling an audible here. I'm changing my second Geek Week. Um, oh, no. Uh, Call to Adventure, Epic Origins, I backed on Kickstarter. Oh, nice. And uh, that Kickstarter might still be open. It might not be. I think, well, I may, may only have a few more days. By the time this posts, it may be gone. But... Epic Origins is different because, first of all, it's compatible with D&D. And so you have uh, the ability to, what we used to call races, what do they call that now, origins or whatever. So you can be like an orc or human or, or you know, a, a tiefling or whatever. And you go through the, the standard game. We've talked about it. Go check our other episodes. We've talked about it ad nauseum called Adventure. And but you you go through it and you know after your third act they have a conversion module to convert the the backstory into a playable uh, 5e character so yeah it's really cool i think idea. that's awesome i think that's amazing and i'm like i don't need it's this game i already own this game but i'm like whoa i i think that would make a really fun session zero um uh, and I, I don't know how good the characters would be i don't know how ba- how balanced they would be I don't know. It's just kickstarted, you know, but I know Call to Adventure is fun. I know that every time I play it, it makes me think about the six stats because the six stats matter in the game. Charisma, intelligence, yeah. you know, uh, dexterity, etc. So anyway, um, I'll be excited to get my, I haven't kickstarted a game in forever. So I'm, I'm super excited for this one to show up. Yeah. That's it, my geek week. Yeah, I've been, you know, it's probably a long time coming having that call to adventure game be able to do that because it's such a good uh, way to kind of build they, the whole point of that game is to build a yeah. backstory a narrative yeah, backstory yeah. Yeah. yeah you know and the nice thing about that kickstarter is that it's coming from a company that's already put out multiple versions of call to adventure yeah so it's not like you're like okay i'm rolling the dice on this kickstarter right like you've got a fairly high confidence that you're gonna get it when they say you're gonna get it and all that stuff so that'll be that'll be pretty good so here's a question, real quick, just a side tangent. I know Dan, you had uh, you had that really long experience with the Cortex system on your Kickstarter. <laughs> that was like years behind schedule. Many years, yeah. Many, Many years. years. Has anyone here backed a Kickstarter that has failed? Oof. Um, uh, not like me. Never but I delivered. I have. I haven't really like backed a lot of Kickstarters though. So. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I I am aware of other I yeah, listen I to other podcasts where people complain about failures. I've got a friend's brother's cousin that that <laughs> happened to one time. What? Right, there's like air quotes when you say that. A friend's right? brother's cousin. Well, they make you check a check a box now. I don't know if you've gone yeah. into it lately. Uh-huh. It says they make you check a box that says I re I I accept the fact that I might get nothing. Yeah. Wow. Um, and you're just. And, and you just got to sign up for that. Instead of it being an exchange of goods, like a sale, I, I give you this money, therefore you give me this product. 
You're basically saying, I'm giving you startup capital. You can give me an award if if you can. Um, But if you don't, I'm hosed. Yeah. Right. Um, But hey, that the Kickstarter had already been funded. You know, they were at 870 percent funding. Yeah. Um, so I'm not real worried about it. And I wouldn't you know, be. you can go on Amazon now and buy all the other versions of the game and have them show up in two days. So right. yeah. this one's low risk. Um, I think people are getting smarter. I think I think Kickstarter's matured a lot. People are using Kickstarter in a smarter way. Kickstarter's getting smarter. All of that stuff, even with the supply chain issues, I think it's a slightly better experience. I'm hope I let, let me say this. I have faith that it will be a better experience. Fair yeah. enough. Yep, that's my geek week. Justin, you're up. Uh, okay, well, let me kick it, kick mine off with uh, the Wheel of Time. So, our uh, one of the all-time, um, would you say all-time greatest novel series, like a fantasy novel series? So, I mean, would you would you put it that way, or I mean, it's definitely iconic, and it is definitely foundational to the fantasy genre i would say but is it one of the greatest i mean here's the thing i gotta caveat this with i have not read it oh interesting <laughs> okay but all, right. yeah. all of the facebook posts seen that i'm seeing on it is wow they're doing a really great job considering the crappy source material they had <laughs> <laughs> Like everyone, everyone on my Facebook is saying that same general thing. So I, so I've read the Wheel of Time series, um, like once and three quarters. Basically, I read it all up to a certain point where, like, it was the end of the books, right? Mm -hmm. And then when I knew Brandon Sanderson was coming out with the new books, I read them all again to like get through all the other books, right? Yeah. So, um, so I've read all the books at least most of the books at least twice except for the brandon sanderson ones which he finished um and i didn't feel like i needed to read those twice but um anyway the uh i would say the first book is one of the weakest uh it was obviously robert jordan's first book period uh well i don't know about period but first book in the series right and um it is a light ripoff of lord of the rings I mean, you've got these Trollocs that are orcs that are invading this, like, little hamlet, you know what I mean, that's very similar to the Shire, um, and you've got the, you know, kind of a buddy buddy system with Matt and, and Rand that feels very much like a Sam and Frodo, you know, you've got Moraine who's kind of like a Gandalf, you've got um, uh, Lynn, um, her kind of warder. Um, who is uh, very much like an Aragon, you know. So, uh, look, you know, you even have a tree guy in the in the first book that's like a giant ant, <laughs> you know. So, like, um, there's there's some parts of this that you're just like, okay, like this this was he kind of took the first book and really was sort of like a recast of the of the Lord of the like the first Fellowship of the Rings book, basically. Um, but as the book went on, he definitely made it his own. So I will say that. And, and I think that the story started getting better because it was his own. It didn't borrow so much from all the previous source material that was out there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I, 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 I can see where people are coming, which is like that first book, like it, and look, the first book was definitely kind of a young adult, like a YA novel too. 
You know what I mean? Where you're like, okay, like it's these 14 year old kids that are out to save the world. Okay. You know? Um, and so, uh, the series, uh, picks up with them being like 20 years old, which I think in the books, they were like around 14. Um, and so they're, they're 20 years old, obviously a little bit more mature, um, I think that they did that because they wanted to make the series a little bit more gritty and a little bit more violent. Um, and so, like, the battle scenes with, like, the Trollocs, which are basically like the orcs, you know, um, they're basically beastmen. They're like goat-headed beastmen. Um, but anyway, they the battle with that was, like, pretty epic. Like, it was a, it was a really good fight. A lot, of, a lot of crazy CGI that Amazon pumped into this thing, so. I gotta make a, an admission. Yeah. I did make it to the 20 minute mark when I started watching it. Oh, really? Yeah, I tapped out. You're like, I'm done, huh? I thought that the gender roles in the first few minutes were really heavy handed. Yeah, okay. And I, I need somebody to say, no, Dan, you made a mistake. Get back on that horse. It'll take you to someplace cool. But I kind of had other stuff I'd rather watch. I got through, you know, I, I wandered away. Back to Cowboy Bebop. Well, I'll say this. Um, I think, yeah, right. I think that the first episode was the weakest. There was a lot of exposition in there. Um, They're setting up the characters. And the gender roles were very heavy because that's how the book set them up to be. Right. And that's Um, what it felt like the book was coming right from the book. Yeah. You read the books, haven't you, Dan? Heck no. No? Oh, yeah. You're not a a fantasy guy. (laughs) So, um,. So, yeah, so those gender roles, you know, were coming f- straight from there. But um, what's what I'll say what's interesting is that um, the Dragon Reborn, right, there's this whole myth that, the, you know, that the men who could channel and cast magic, um, the dragon ended up banishing the Dark One, um, you know, thousands of years prior, okay? And um, as he did that, the Dark One touched the male line of the magic so any male caster now who touches the magic um ends up going crazy because it's tainted by the dark one's influence um and so only the females can cast uh magic safely and um half of their mission is hunting down males who start showing that they can cast magic because the males will go crazy and literally destroy cities you know um and so um so the prophecy is that the dragon is going is has been reborn, and they're looking for the dragon in this little town, uh, Moraine and her her warder. Um, the interesting thing is is that in the book it's very clear the dragon is a male. It is very clear that the dragon is a male, but the series has left it open to be one of the females, one of the two females in the party as well, and they kind of made mention of that. And I'm sitting here going like. Uh, that's interesting. That was an interesting departure because they did not um that it was very clear in the book that it was always a male. Right. And that was that was part of the that was part of the thing, which is like, well, here he is prophesied to come back, but if he touches the magic, then he's gonna destroy us all. So what should we do when we find him? Should you know, because he's supposed to uh the dark one's supposed to come loose again and he's supposed to contain it again. But here he is going crazy just in case, you know what I mean? So there's that kind of dilemma that they were setting up as well. But if the dragon is a woman, there's that dilemma doesn't exist. So, um, 
you know, because like she won't go crazy. Not a big deal. So mm-hmm. it's kind of interesting. I I kind of feel like um, you know, Amazon's doing their whole uh, PCification of this book that was yeah. written in the 1980s, basically. You know. Yeah. Um, I just. I just can't through any I, right now. I'm so burnt out on talking about gender in my house that I just, <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm like, oh, yeah. we're doing this tap out. Yeah. So may, maybe I just need to get into a different headspace. Well, I'll, I'll say this: the first episode was probably the weakest episode of them all. Number two got much better. Number three was pretty good. We just finished the fourth one tonight, and the fourth one was really good. It was a very good episode. Um, it kind of tied a lot of the stuff together that they had kind of been dancing around. In terms of like the men channeling and the yeah. problems with that and all that, all that. So, which kind of reinforces sort of that gender, you know, why there's that gender, you know, uh, gender stuff in there. Yeah. Cool. So I want to pull on something you said when you introduced this Geek Week. I think you said something about this, the Wheel of Time series being like a defining series in fantasy. Right. Right. So. I'm just curious about that, right? Because, like, I would have picked, like, the entire Dragonlance mm-hmm. or Forgotten Realms or, like, all of that stuff as, like, fantasy driving uh, stuff. And that, I mean, the Dragonlance Chronicles were before, uh, started before the Wheel of Time. Right, right. So, uh, just curious. And, and the, here's a here's the funny thing. I consider myself pretty well versed in yeah. fantasy. It, it wasn't until way later in life that I actually came across Wheel of Time. That's that's very interesting, and I agree. I didn't... Um, I got into a lot of fantasy stuff pretty late. Like, I started reading it pretty late. Yeah. I'm talking, like, in my 20s. Oh, okay. Was when, wow. I started, yeah. was when I started, like, getting in. It was post-Lord of the Rings. Ah. Like, Lord of the, the Movies. It got you into it. The Lord of the Rings got you into it. Yeah. And I remember... My friend going, dude, we're going to go watch Lord of the Rings. Uh, now, I did a lot of sci-fi before that. Like, I was way into Star Wars and stuff right, like that right, before, right. you know. Um, but, uh, like, fantasy stuff. Like, of course, I watched Beastmaster as a kid. Of yeah, course of I course. did. Of course. You know, and I watched Conan and stuff like that. So, But was I ever one to, like, go pick up a fantasy book and read it? Like, oh, no, that was geeky stuff, right? Well, here I am. <laughs> here i am there here i am go. um you know it's funny because uh you talk to a lot of authors and and this is why i think it's it's a defining series you talk to a lot of authors nowadays and the wheel of time was one of their first series that they read mm. you know what i mean and they cite the wheel of time as something that just sparked their imagination um I don't think that they would tell you that it is particularly like one of the best series that they've ever read. I think that there's many others that are better than The Wheel of Time. And, um, in fact, Robert Jordan was known as um, someone who couldn't manage his plots very well. Like, you get into book seven and eight in there, and you're like, oh my gosh, there's so much going on here. That he just needs to cut it down, and one of the things that um, one of the one of the theories was is that uh, Robert Jordan didn't know how to finish his story, and he ended up getting cancer and dying before he finished his series. Um, and he was like on book uh, book like eleven or something like that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And uh, and Brandon Sanderson came in, you know, kind of. I think he met with him before he passed away, just before he passed away. 
and then like took all of his notes and like in the first book that he wrote he was just like in that line in that plot line in that plot line in that plot line i mean like he just closed so many threads that were like out there you know that were just good like roads to nowhere and so um you know i think his series suffered from like plot creep big mm-hmm. time and character creep and um so it'll be interesting to see how they do the series but i do think it is a very defining and iconic series um even though even if it's not maybe the best series that's out there like yeah, there, cool. I, again i think there's so many other series that are better believe it or not cool yeah so i don't know but it just it just came at a time when i think fantasy was finding itself again you know um like which is like the 90s you know i i don't I don't know if there was a lot going on in fantasy. You had all the Dragonlance stuff before it, you know. The Dragonlance was like the 80s through the yeah. late 90s. It yeah, was, okay. That was 90s. 90s was a heyday for Dragonlance. That was like an that's explosion true. in Dragonlance. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. But, uh, so. but I mean, you know, different groups. It's yeah. interesting. We'll see. Uh, I will. Uh, I believe, and and don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure that um, Wheel of Time was one of the first series that Tor published. Uh, so that would be the Dragonlance Chronicles was uh, 1984. The start oh, nice. of those Chronicles was Tor. Was Tor? Okay. Yep. Yeah. So Tor definitely picked up Robert Tor, Jordan's yeah. book. Actually, right? um, I st- strike that. Well, Tor, I'm thinking TSR. TSR was Dragonlance. Right. Is TSR, Tor. No, they're, they're still separate. Never mind. Yeah, TSR was Dragonlance. Yeah. That makes sense. We should do some research. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, Tor. Um, I just pulled this up real quick. Tor started in 1980. There you go. And um, yeah, that's even earlier. Yeah. yeah, and I think that you know they um, they were publishing a bunch of different stuff. I think they started out as like um, just a small shop, right? But they did. You know, they published like Orson Scott Card and Terry Goodkind and James Gunn and Robert Jordan, obviously, right? Brandon Sanderson. I mean, nowadays, if you're doing fantasy and you're not publishing with Tor, you have to ask them why. Why aren't you publishing with Tor? You know what I mean? If you're writing fantasy. So, kind of interesting. But uh, yeah, sorry, that was a very long geek week <laughs> for uh, for that for that one thing. I will say I do have one other thing I just want to touch on really quickly. I picked up the Xbox game that was free on the Games Pass of Control, mm-hmm. um, which is like you know you're wandering into this like government bureau that does all this paranormal, um, you know, research type stuff. And it's been taken over by an alien entity, and you got to kind of learn. You end up becoming the de facto director, and you've got to kind of, like, save the place. Um, that's not the biggest deal. The interesting thing is I've been playing it via cloud gaming. That's how okay. I played it, too. Yeah, so um, this, you know, cloud gaming is, um, it was kind of bad. Uh, it was on, uh, you know, beta. it's beta thing on the phones and on the laptops and stuff like that. But I noticed recently that it is kind of it's still in beta on the Xbox now, and so you can play it without having to download it. Um, 
kind of interesting. What I love about it is that I was playing it on an X. My son loves to play on our Xbox downstairs because he says that the TV looks better with Fortnite. Whatever. Um, you know, and uh, but the problem is, is that's the Xbox that has my hard drive with all my games on it and all mm. the space, storage space. The Xbox upstairs only has its internal storage space. So we kind of use it for like Minecraft and like watching things. You know what I mean? Like there's not a lot of room on the hard drive up there. Yeah. And so um, I was able to play the game on the Xbox upstairs, which was kind of cool. The downside is that the Xbox upstairs is wi-fi and so i kept getting these um i don't know what you call them but it basically was like a bitrate refresh that would like come down the screen like a waterfall almost yep every like 20 seconds or something like that uh, yeah. you know so um there was times where i was fighting a lot of guys and like all of a sudden i'm just like so pixelated i'm like oh crap what's happening here you know, so um, so it's it's been an interesting experience with the cloud gaming. Um, it I think it uh, it's got some serious potential because you just pick it up and you go. Like you know what I mean? Like it's ready to go. Um, but you know, if you don't have a good connection, then it kind of sucks. Yeah, there's been several cloud gaming services over the past I would say 15 years that have come and gone. Because the internet, I think the internet's, I'm saying the internet's have not <laughs> been um, really up to par in like the large amount of people's homes. But I think, I think we're seeing a lot more people that got gig in their homes. Yeah. And it's making this more of a like a viable service uh, option where you'll get a large subscription base for it. Well, and to be honest with you, if you're in a good 5G spot, like that's, I mean, that's plenty good for. Yeah, I've gaming, done it over 5G. Know? Yeah. Yeah, um, I'd say if you're doing 4G, then you're probably going to struggle a little bit. Yeah, you know, um, depending on the game. Like I think you could play like uh, Darkest Dungeon on cloud gaming on 4G and probably be okay. You know, yeah. um, but something like Control or something else, like you're going to need a, a little bit higher bit rate than that. I checked yeah. out the trailer while you were chatting. It looks really interesting. It looks like. The old Force, Un- Force Unleashed, Unleashed game where you would just like pick up like mm-hmm. random yep. crap yep. and throw it at people uh, with telekinesis. Uh, yep. Obviously, it's done. In a, <laughs> it's done very. This is done very very well. That was a slightly older game. I love the Force Unleashed. That was a great game. Um, and uh, this control, it's really good. It's super weird, right? Because again, you're using your. It's like almost like this 1950s bureau like that you kind of imagine like with like the 1950s FBI style, yeah. you know, like dudes with horn room glasses and ties and smoking in their desks and stuff like that. But um, the problem is you're only getting like glimpses of things happening because this, you know, this entity took over and it's kind of possessing some people. And so like, I just, you know, I, I'm not scared of dying. It's like, okay, if I die, I just get reset. No big deal. But man, when I'm walking through some of those things, I am creeped out. I'm like, what is down this hall? Like, what is going to attack me down there? You know? And it's just like, I'm just like, this is so stupid. I've played like Halo and all this stuff where it's like, I'm just used to shooters, you know? But there's something about this that it's just like, you're wandering through this giant bureaucracy of a building alone. And wow. that's creepy, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> I remember. So. Oh, sorry. I, I won't spin no, too many good. yards, but it was when 
Spielberg worked on, what was it, the first PS1 um, World War II game that matched Saving Private Ryan. I want to, I can't remember what it's Oh, called. Medal of Honor, I think. The first Medal of Honor. Yep. Yep. I'd never been so stressed out in a game. Oh, yeah. When you're trying to run that beach. Yeah. I was playing. Oh, yeah. That was really. Ne- no, it was the one that came before that. I think it, that was really intense when you go up the beach. There was one before that. Where you're a paratrooper? Where you're a paratrooper behind enemy yep. lines. Yep. And I was playing this on my buddy's PlayStation. This was in grad school. And, you know, I'm showing my age right here. And I'd never played a video game where. And the, the my, my buddy's like. Shut up! You're gonna let the you're making too much noise. The Nazis are gonna hear you. I'm like, I'm just shooting. I just want to kill Nazis. They can't hear me. It's a video game. He's like, No, you're making too much noise, you idiot. So fun. But yeah, that moment where you're, and then I had that moment of fear, like, Oh no, there's Nazis are gonna hear me. I'm in trouble. You know, like you were saying. Oh my gosh, I'm so freaked out walking down this hallway. It's when the game kind of jumps out of the game a little bit. And you, it, that's a nice suspension of disbelief. So I guess yeah. uh, plus one on that thing. Yeah, it's a great game. My brother told me about it months ago, months and months ago, because he had it on PS5 or PS4, I guess. And um, I was like, okay, yeah, I'll get to it. And then I saw it was on the cloud game and picked it up. And I'm like, okay, this is my new my new little hobby. So nice. it's been good times, good times. So, All right. Geek Week is done. Well, that was an epic Geek Week, but it's been a while <laughs> since we recorded. We, you could tell we didn't have a pre-show here. We didn't talk on the, we didn't talk getting the show ready, so we had a lot to yeah. say. Let's let's burn through the news. Yeah, let's do it. Welcome to Tabletop and Beyond News. All right. Thank you for indulging me. Roll20 launched a new player companion app for iOS and Android devices. Now your daughter can play, Jason. I know, right, yeah. Since it wasn't available previously on any other device. Well, it's got iOS and Android. She's fine either way. That's the point. Uh, The app is free for all Roll20 users and will allow players to access their character sheets, roll dice, display character information like stats and character portrait and integrate directly with the Roll20 virtual tabletop. While it does not replace the virtual tabletop completely, it does streamline online play by allowing a second screen for players without requiring two monitors. And for those who've grown accustomed to digital tools during remote play sessions, this will be a great tool for gaming in person at the table. You can download the app for free. The Apple App Store for iOS devices or from the Google Go Play for Android. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, you know what's kind of awesome about this is that uh, if you were using Roll20, you could seamlessly go from in-person to virtual and still be using your stuff, you know? Yeah. So that's kind of nice. I mean, I guess in theory you could do that with D&D Beyond as well, right? Like I could bring my little laptop or tablet with my D&D character sheet. I I know a lot of people that use D&D Beyond in person. Yeah. I mean... Look, if, if we're going back to in-person D&D Beyond stuff, like I'm going to bring a tablet now with a character sheet because yeah. you just click those buttons and mm-hmm. I, I may roll it by hand, you know, or still because I love rolling dice in person, but um, having the character sheet right there is really nice. Really, yeah. really nice. So Yeah, I love the closer we get to um, making the digital tools not basically replace paper and pencil i think that's not a bad thing i think that's what the future is going to look like it's just a matter of how quickly we bring the future 
here. And so I think World 20 is great because it's not like, um, you know, D&D Beyond where you're just playing that one game, World 20. You get yeah. D&D, but you get everything else they're doing as well. That's true. Very good point. Uh, my last news item, second and last, Marvel Entertainment released more details about the upcoming Marvel multiverse role-playing game, including a look at the new dice system. I warn anyone clicking on the... Oh, sorry, I'm not going to read that. Okay. <laughs> the new Marvel multiverse game will use the D616 system, a reference uh, to the universe number for the mainline comic book continuity of Universe 616. Task Revolution will be handled by rolling 3d6, with the result of 616 yielding fantastic results. <laughs> there will oh, be wow. pre-generated versions existing wow. of existing characters as well as character creation rules. Attributes will be might, agility, resilience, vigilance, ego, and logic. The playtest book will release in March of 2022. So I mean, I feel like we talked about like the last couple of weeks about like other Marvel RPGs that were coming out, not just as. No, I think now this we're is getting it. multi multiverse art Marvel RPGs. Do you know of another one? I think this is the one. Oh, okay. I'm well. not aware of any others, but I, please correct me if I'm wrong. I yeah. don't. So, uh, yeah, it's, this is the one they're pushing. But we joked about it because you had to like kick in a bunch of money. For like a, a a small PDF that wasn't going to come out till March of 2022. Oh, we, we that's right. This one like six months ago. That's right. And that's the right. real game ain't going to get published for another year after that. So it's kind of like, eh, you know, yeah. They've got you on the long long hook. That's All right, right, that's my news. Nice, very good. Thank you for the news, Dan Pomeroy. You're welcome. <laughs> All right, so we get to our main topic of the day, which is too much moolah. Is it a good thing or a bad thing? So uh, this was, I think, Jason, this was uh, your topic that you brought up with us Mm -hmm. today. Mm -hmm. So why don't you kick us off? Well, I just, it was a kind of a thought there. You know, we've we've played RPGs and various systems for a long time, and a lot of times what drives the player's motivations in these is if they're not given, like, a, a... uh, a specific thing to do right at the beginning a lot of times when they get a little more open world or sandboxy it comes down to building a uh, amassing a giant pool of wealth or an empire of your own um, or power right power and control over the universe when we played fire when we played the serenity rpg years ago uh i made the mistake of not understanding the amount of money that um that was at stake in one specific encounter. And mm-hmm. our friend here on the podcast with us, Dan, oh, uh, wow. was a lawyer. <laughs> and if you remember Dan, he got up <laughs> there remember. and he took went to court. And he went to court <laughs> and the amount of money on the table was was that that was being claimed was ridiculously high. And so I said, you know, we're gonna make this an incredibly challenging role. I said, <laughs> Go ahead, Dan, make the role. He made the role and he made it. And all of a sudden I had to give him all of this money and it was so much money that Dan Dan basically said like my player has no more reason to play the game like like you know the whole premise of serenity is you're out there trying to survive in you know the wild wild yeah. west of space but when you're just rolling in dough what what's the point what do you do 
Yeah, what do you do? And it kind of got to this. That's always kind of this thought is what happens when your players get too rich? Like nothing mm-hmm. is beyond their reach when it comes to the money. You know, what do you do? And and so that was kind of the thought here. I threw this out and said, well, let's talk about this for a little bit. So what are your thoughts on that? So my thoughts, yes, I vaguely remember that. But I remember wanting to play and keep playing. And I, I don't yeah. remember squandering that money. Um, but the larger question is, is what, how do you control resources that are going to the players and the player characters? It's really the player characters because you don't actually give human beings money in an RPG unless you're doing it for pay, right? So there's money is the number one resource. Experience points is another key resource or controlling experience because that basically allows characters to become more powerful over time. And then there's plot armor. There's like story elements that kind of shift the dynamic, which is, oh no, your your like you know your character now, um, you know, is now the president of a country. Well, it doesn't mean they're rolling in dough. It means that okay, well now they have access to story resources and layers of protection that they wouldn't have otherwise. You know the you know the example of that is. Um, in Deep Space Nine, there was a Ferengi by the name of Rom who started off the series as a total idiot, and he was the idiot brother of the smart Ferengi, uh, you know, Quark. Uh, and by the end of the series, spoiler alert, he becomes the president of all Ferengi. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. you've leveled up. You know, the story has has bent into Rom's way where he's he's doing something else. So there's there's kind of different layers of. Um, of resources. So what I thought we could talk about is what are, let's talk about playing the game with a scarcity of resources. What's so, good so at, what's quickly, good about it? So one one uh, other resource that I would say um, it's kind of an extension of money um, but it's it's things, right? So it's like gear. gear. It's gear. Equipment. Yeah, so yeah, so like um, you know, uh, I get asked all the time, "Hey, can I make um, can I make some new armor that's going to give me bonuses to my AC? Yeah. Can I make this? Can I make that? You know what I mean? And there's always a balance. I think I think especially like in D&D, there's a money thing, but then there's a gear thing, right? Like, do I give out magic items that's going to make these guys OP, yeah. right? Do I give out – like, and what's the balance? Does everybody get a magic item? Does only certain people get a magic item? So, you know, I mean, like, um, that, that to me is, like, uh, sometimes – even worth more than money is sometimes yeah i remember dawnbringer we found dawnbringer uh basically a lightsaber in D &D, and there was a legit angst between players about who was going to get it yeah and there was like a moment where it was like oh you know um so let's talk about yeah the default setting is is i think a lot of gms approach the idea of Scarcity of resources is good. And let's talk about why it's good and let's talk about why it's bad. And then let's talk about why resource saturation is good and bad. Okay. And and, and hopefully they, they don't line up completely. Like one is, you know, you, I don't want to say the same list in opposite for the second group. We'll you know map I mean? out the Venn diagram. Yeah, I, I, I don't want to say the same stuff too many times. But scarcity of resources. You're a, you're a DM, you're a GM. You've decided that resources are going to be hard to come by. Gears are, gears going to be hard to come by. Money's going to be tight. I'm going to be very specific with XP. What is the game getting out of that? 
What do you mean? What is the game? Like you, you, you as the GM have decided for the group that, you know, um, or stuff not going to be easy to come by. Things just aren't, are not going to be easy to come by. What, what's the benefit? What, what are you, why have you made that choice? Uh, I mean, it probably depends on the setting uh, and the situation of the game mechanics, but uh, maybe because it presents the need for adventure. Yeah. In some situations, the difficulty to get out there and do something to be able to get something. The inherent challenge mm-hmm. of survival. Yeah, challenge of survival. That's a good way to say it. Yeah. So you're not just sitting on your laurels, just uh, you know, playing video games or. Or doing nothing in the game. Get, have some motivation to get out there and get something. Right. A yeah. mass. I don't know. Yeah, uh, I think, I think um, you know, it, it does provide extra motivation, right? Like, if, if the only way to earn real scratch in, in the system is to go out and, you know, do that wizard's job for him, you know, then... <laughs> right. Then, then that's a that's a major motivation, right, for your for your characters. Um, I was thinking too that um, uh, one of the one of the benefits of keeping things tight is that it it forces your your group to get creative. Um, if they've always got a god hammer with them, then they're always going to see nails to hit, no matter what, right? Like. Well, you know, you, you walk into what what should be a um, kind of a social encounter where they're going to have to get creative and figure something out. And one of the players has this, like, you know, super heavy hammer and he says, well, I attack that guy. Yeah, because I know I'll know, win. Because I know I'll win. Yeah. You know, and so, like, if you can keep the resources tight uh, for it, then it forces them to say, okay, well... We don't have the resources to take on all of these guards right now. What what should we do instead? Right. You know. Um, What's another solution? Yeah, exactly. Especially when um, things get a little dicey and it's like, oh, the king the king here doesn't like us, and neither do any of the guards. But we have to go interact with somebody in this city. So now, what do we do? Right? Because the normal solution if you're op you've got tons of gear you got tons of awesome stuff or you got a lot of money even is like bribe somebody or or you know do something mm-hmm. that that you know if you've got plenty of resources it doesn't matter here here's a thousand gold it doesn't matter to me <laughs> you know because right. yeah. i got a lot so and, and i think the the threat of failure is way more present when you know that you're kind of outgunned either financially or with gear or with you know, maybe the level of your character. And actually everyone, when you sit around and say, what were some of your best sessions? No one will sit around and talk about the time where they succeeded handily. They will always say, oh, remember when we screwed up? And they'll tell this great story about how they screwed up. Yeah. And Or how they came up with something super clever. Yes. To get themselves out of something. Yeah. And, I'm, you know? and I'm not saying that you should, as a GM, you should force a screw up every time because that's going to be memorable. I, I'm not saying that yeah. at all. But there's something about that, um, that you know, that, that that tension of oh my gosh, this is re- this, this is for realsies, you know. And and yes, we barely made it past. Like you yeah. said, they came up with the thing that barely, barely got them through what they needed to get. Well, so those are some advantages. One of some of the advantages I was thinking of is it's much easier to use published materials for your game if everybody's not op, right? 
um, because if you you can get too deep in a campaign where you're at the point where you've got to create all the stat blocks for everybody all the time because right. suddenly the players are now hot knife through butter. Sometimes the D&D modules will say this is geared for level 10, this is geared for level whatever, and that's helpful. But not every game has that. It's, more games don't have that than do. Um, so that that is kind of... It, it, and uh, let's be honest, scarcity of resources makes life on the GM, DM much easier. Um, yeah. It makes life easier. Um, you're going to be able to... Your bag of tricks is bigger when the players are scrimping and saving and, and you know, begging for the plus one sword, the plus two sword, because that would really be a game changer for them. So let's talk about the bad points. I mean, yeah. scarcity of resources as a player, I get frustrated with the tedium. It feels tedious to get strung out. If you're playing like a game once a month, you know, you're in it three or four months and you haven't leveled up. Um, and yeah. you feel like you, for every step forward, you take 10 steps back I, and it can be a little demoralizing. What are some other bad points? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that, especially with like the experience points, right? Like, um, and again, if you were playing only once a month, man, you should be almost leveling up every session, you know, to be honest with you, to keep it fresh, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and it doesn't always have to be that way, obviously, but you've got to have the feeling that they are advancing. I think that's an important thing. Um, I think the downside of not being flush for cash is that um, players after a while are going to feel like, well, where's my special toy? Like, yeah. you know, I'm playing in an RPG, I'm leveling up, I'm doing all this cool stuff. Like, when do I get my special armor? Or when do yeah. I get my special thing, you know? You've got leather, and, leather studded, I've got leather studded, you and you and you. We yeah. all have the same gear. Because and we that's go to loot the these, yeah, exactly. And we go to loot these high-profile guys, and they have chainmail, which is the same as leather studded. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? The delta like, cool. is nothing. So yeah. you know, you, um, so I, I know that I, I try, to, I do try to limit. Um, I, t I probably skew more on the scarcity side than the over generous side. Um, but I am cognizant that, like, I feel like my players should all have something special. Yeah. And uh, and Jason, I was just thinking about your character, and I'm like, I don't think he has anything that is like he doesn't. For him. Um, but you know? that's because, but that's okay because uh, you know my my guy has the um, when I when I leveled up and I took the psychic tree and I got the uh -huh. psychic blades. That's kind of been my special thing. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. So I've kind of generated that on my own. Yeah. So, um, but you know, like. Um, uh, we had one guy who wanted to do a little side quest to do something, and um, I ended up having him face off against a, a giant, like, saber-toothed cat, like, on a one-on-one -on -one battle, and he barely made it out. But now he has this cool cloak that he wears, you know what I mean, that gives him, like, plus one AC, basically. Oh, yeah. You know? And so, like, that to me was kind of like, okay, you did something cool for it, so here you go, you know? So... Um, so he keeps asking me now, and he's probably listening to this podcast, right? But he keeps asking me now, can I make like new stuff? And I'm just the funny thing is, he does keep asking me <laughs> in a place where there's like no one to craft that for him, and he's like a Goliath, right? You're in the so middle of the like, desert. So I'm like, he's like, is there any full plate mail here? And I'm like, nothing that's gonna fit you, buddy. <laughs> like, <laughs> like maybe over your foot. 
Go you know, ask the like, Clydesdale if he's got full plate metal that you can adapt. <laughs> you know, so he, he's like, okay, well, when we get back to when we get back to this, I'm gonna have somebody do it. And we get back there, he's like, uh, yeah, we're leaving tomorrow. Can you make it for me? And I'm like, dude, that's like a that's like a month long job to like you know make make a full plate armor set for Goliath. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, like, yeah. you want to put the order in now, that's fine. But, you know, <laughs> you're not getting it tomorrow. You're going you're gonna to so. have to back that. You're going to wait for the backer zone to get your plate armor. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So. So, l- let's transition to resource saturation. I, yeah. for good or for bad, as a GM, particularly in Star Wars, I have regularly, explicitly, purposefully over-resourced the characters, the players, with money, with XP. You you are like Oprah with XP. <laughs> you get 10 points. You get 10 points. You get 10 points. Everybody gets 10 I, points. You, you haven't played with me for a while. I get you, but, but there's... <laughs> Uh, I have, I have, uh, uh, there is a logic to my madness. Number one is because lately I've been playing between two different groups. I've done Force and Destiny twice. And if you know the mechanics of that game, it requires just a lot of XP. Just yeah, to, to, to not frustrate your players because otherwise they, there's a lot of skill trees. There's so many trees with force powers. There's so many things and, and, and they get frustrated and then they have to, it's just really it's 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 less fun. So I do increase the XP by times two than what they recommend usually. Not times uh-huh. two, usually times one point five. But what will happen is is they'll come up to a story where I'll say, Okay, this person is going to teach you something you don't know. You have to spend this block of XP on this thing, or your character doesn't pay any attention to it and you get nothing. And they always take it, right? Yeah. Um, but the the and I've done that with money too. Like you know, they'll f- steal a capital ship and sell it, and they'll have two million dollars or two million credits. Right? Yeah. Um, there are good points to this. Um, then the one thing is, is that your game will start to feel more epic. Um, it'll feel like, for instance, the genre I'm referring to is Star Wars. You go from farm boy to blowing up the Death Star in two hours. I mean, and that's not what happens. It happens over a number of sessions, but you do start feeling like your characters are not just background fodder. And a lot of it is that's, uh, you know, it's a do unto others thing. I don't like to be a frustrated player, so I don't like to frustrate my players. So I've done it, and it has, I've also failed at doing that before. Um, For instance, Jay was playing in a group of mine where a bunch of the guys got some money together, and they said, well, now we want to build a business. And I, I that wasn't fitting my story as the GM. And so bad guys found out about their money, stole their money, and spent their money uh, on stuff that blew up, right? And so they were really they were really pissed off at me. And I, in hindsight, I'm like, I should have never done that. I should have been like, business, good. What do you guys want to do? Let's figure out a way to make that work. <laughs> yeah. And so another thing is the reason why i i don't feel bad showering money in some games is sometimes the the players have no plan on how they're going to spend it if the game doesn't scale up to gear that's so uber powerful if there's no broken gear in the books there's only so much they can spend and carry around with them and then they're like done and you're like okay well you're done you've modified it at all you're just done and then it, I will say I'll say that that was one of my complaints about Shadow of the Demon Lord is that the gear in there you're just like okay well cool like a short sword's a short sword's a short sword yeah I mean I had to go out and kind of create my own armory mm, almost a little mm. bit you know to like 
be like, okay, well, this is a sharp sword, which give you an extra couple points of damage. You know what I mean? And like, to help them feel like, okay, you're getting a little bit more. And then I've, uh, of course, I created some magic items for them and things like that. But um, I think I think that that is, uh, well, I, sorry, that's a con of resource saturation. No, that's I'll okay. Get, I'll, I'll save it. We, we, <laughs> I, I think some of the good points are you can turn the story away from the acquisition of stuff. And that's the point where your characters... That's a good point, yeah. They stop looting bodies. They just don't care anymore, right? You right. Know, they're, not, they're, they're not worrying about gas money because, you know, you can do that. They're just not worried about kind of like mundane problems. And the mundane yeah. problems, don't get me wrong, are fun when you're starting out. Because that's how you feel like you're slowly getting up the mountain, doing those switchbacks, getting up to yeah. the peak of the mountain. But once you get to the peak of the mountain, the whole point of going up to the mountain is to play in the big leagues. Um, and so that that can be fun. You have to be really careful with it. Um, the bad points I um, with resource saturation is if you have players who know what they're going to do with a lot of money, you're really hosed, right? If they're like, <laughs> oh, I've got true. the book. I know what I'm going to buy. You gave me the money. Here are the rules as written. I'm allowed to buy it. I have the money. Therefore, mm-hmm. I have this thing. And now you're hosed. As a GM, you're going to have to roll with that punch. You're going to be like, oh, yeah. well, the player's punching back. I would say that 99% of the players I've been playing with in the last several years wouldn't know what to do. I could say you have 3 billion credits or 3 million credits or 3 kajillion credits, and it'll all pretty much come out to the same thing, which is, well, how do I get my armor just a little bit better? (laughs) (laughs) You know? I want to buy a thermal detonator. I want to buy a thermal detonator. Well, how many can I carry? You can carry about five or six. Okay. Well, what are you going to do with the rest of your kajillion credits? That that it becomes an abstract idea. And the money is no longer like a, a story inhibitor. But the bad point is, is when you have somebody who like is really rules lawyer with the books and knows exactly where to buy everything and how to how to how to assemble a constellation of things that can ruin your day as the GM, that means you're playing <laughs> with with a real hardcore player. I will put myself into that category. When I was a player, I had reverse engineered the game and figured out, well, if I could spend exactly 18,000 credits, I could break the game. And I freaking did. <laughs> you know? Is that with uh, two twin-linked pistols? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, uh, those, 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 those were the good old days. Those were the good old days. So, and, and, and I'm putting myself up as the example of what not to do, you know? So um, I will say this, too. One, one of the pros of resource saturation to me is that um, think of it like um, – blade runner right if you're poor you're living in the in the slums yeah. right down on street level but if you're rich you're up on the above the clouds yeah you know what i mean living in the nice area and so um being having a lot of resource saturation means that you can elevate your sessions a little bit so that you're and, and, and again give it a little bit of an epic feel so that instead of like kicking around in some like rat infested warehouse yeah where you're trying to avoid local thugs now you've got a penthouse with a lawn you know with a landing pad um and you're rubbing elbows with you know presidents of mega corporations and like all of a sudden, like maybe a heist has much higher stakes right. than it would if you're just trying to steal some cargo from, you know, like a, another another warehouse or something like that. So I think that you know you can, it like you couldn't you couldn't say like oh you guys only have like a hundred credits and now you get this penthouse. Right. You're like that doesn't even make any sense. Right. You know what I mean? Um. And and I do like the point that you made, which is that if you. <clears throat> have resource saturation 
all of a sudden, like, um, the focus isn't on acquiring wealth anymore, right? It's about playing the game. And I think that the perception starts changing of, like, okay, well, how does my character want to be in this area? It's not that he, he doesn't care about being rich anymore, so is it influence? Is it prestige? Is right. it, like, like, what, like... Now, what are the motivators? What's driving the plot? And that yep. forces, first of all, survival, you know, in the Maslow's hierarchy of coming up with plot points, base survival is real easy to run. You know, yeah. it's like, well, you got to purify some water or you got to find some food. And now you're being attacked. I mean, you're kind of in the lowest level of the hierarchy. Yeah. And to use that kind of, you know, Blade Runner example, as you move up, you know, your needs change. The characters' needs change and their stories change and what, what they can do. I'm not saying that the best way to do that is with resource saturation. That is sure. just a, one of the benefits that you can derive from doing that should you go down that road. Yeah, 100%. I, you know, and I would say that if you do want to, if you do want them to be upper echelons, you better plan for resource saturation. Yeah. Because it, it doesn't work otherwise. I mean, they're going to have to steal a whole bunch of money somewhere yeah. <laughs> to be able to afford that apartment. You know what I mean? Uh, so. the, the, the most important resource saturation to be as a GMDM to be aware of is, of course, um, what happens when XP gets so high that the story you plan is suddenly broken just because they've leveled. They're good. They're that good. And you right. thought you were going to put together a nemesis that was going to... F- put fear into their soul and they just figured out a womp through them real fast. Uh, I just had that with one of my groups uh, a couple weeks ago and I'm like, okay, well I've got to up my game. I'm not, I'm, I'm not throwing, I, I've leveled them yeah. up. I, they were set there. The story had saturated them and now they're, they're really big leaguers. And so, I, you know, I, I've got to come up with, with uh, equally as dev- equally devastating baddies. Um, but at the same time, some of these games get don't get played at high levels, right? right. And they're not play tested high, play tested well at high levels. And it, um, to be honest, you can break the game rules as written, which we discovered in one of my groups the other week. It's like, hey, uh, let's not have anybody use this force power anymore because I don't think my bad guys want to use it, and I certainly don't want you guys using this on my bad guys. So let's just. Let's just rip it out of the game, and you guys can spend your points yeah. that you put into that on something else. We had to do that because we were like, oh, crap. We, we, we'd crossed that threshold. But I was trying to tell a big, epic, destiny-based story. So yeah, um, that, that was so, the direction we were headed. So, so let me, let me jump ahead, in just for a minute. Yep, so yep, I yep. think – because I think that, um, you know, as I've played several different motivations and why you play an RPG, you know, and – in some situations where you are playing to amass wealth, Ser- Serenity was a good example yeah. of that. When you yeah. first start, at least, it's a, ah, we're, ch- we're poor, let's figure out how we make this work. Um, but also when, you know, I think there are other RPGs where the motivation is not wealth, it's not power, it's something else. I'll give you an example. When we played deep into Serenity, uh, about a year-ish in, I had a player who kind of basically said, like, I don't really have any motivation to continue down kind of the main story arc right now. <laughs> uh, because, and I'm not talking about dance character. I'm, just, I'm going else. on He's, a cruise. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he was like, I'm just, you know, I, I'm i like, I presented a plot scenario to go through, and the other players were like, yeah, let's do this. Like, it was a heist or something. And uh, I don't even remember. And this guy was like, I, you know, my character, you know, I got a bunch of money. I'm not really interested, 
in it. Uh, I think I think my, what my character would do is probably just go on a. He was a polygamist. We'll go on a cruise <laughs> with uh, my wives. And so you know what I did? I said okay. So he doesn't care about money. He doesn't care about power. All right. So on the cruise, I had kidnappers kidnap one of his wives. That's right. And and take off with one of his wives. And all of a sudden, I presented him another reason to play the game still. Yeah, you had to drag him back into the story, kicking and screaming. Yeah, but it was like, you know, at that point, you realize, you realize your character, money doesn't matter, Mm -hmm. resources don't matter, it's not about the accumulation of power or wealth, it's about something else. Find out what those motivations are and bring those into why we're playing the game still. Yeah, I think think when you get higher level in in a lot of these games, you're just like, okay, the king's asking you to go do this, and he's going to give you a thousand gold. And I I think that happened during one of our Shadow of the Demon Lord, and you guys were just like, I mean, do we need to? Yeah. Like, I don't need any more money. (laughs) Like, you know. (laughs) I have found, even even when I play RPGs now as a poor person, money is not a motivator for why I'm going to go do a quest for a king. Specifically for a king. <laughs> yeah. Because half the time you come back, the king's going to find a way not to pay you anyway. <laughs> He's cruising over. Yeah. My, my brother Nate. Is That's who's, never <laughs> happened. No. Jason. Never. Never. Nate, who was on the show. Bradville. Nate, who was on the show yeah. with us uh, about a year or so ago, uh, he prepped a Shadowrun adventure for his group and the Mr. Smith or whatever, the guys that, the, the guys that fix, the fixers yeah, that come the fixers. up with the... Uh, the job, say, okay, here's the job. Here's what you're going to do. And the players looked at each other and went, we don't want to do that. And so Nate put his books back in his bag and went, okay, we're done, guys. Good night. <laughs> we're all done here. <laughs> and they went, whoa, 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 whoa. Actually, we do want to do that. We do want to do that. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, so that's, that's, too that's funny. a classic. So um, so just, uh, you know, uh, other systems, the stories or, 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 you know, fate system comes to mind as something where you really focus on your – the character's motivation, not necessarily your standard dungeon crawl, right? And I think the resource yeah. thing and the re- the way we look at resources and the way we look XP, a lot of that comes from the mother of all RPGs, which is D&D, which was dungeon crawling and popping open chests, fighting a yeah. monster and then finding gold that that monster was holding on to, like that monster cared about, you know, gold. <laughs> Yeah. Non-dragon right. characters he, who who want to go spend money someplace. There, an owlbear wants to buy. A, it helps a sandwich, me sleep. You know, in his scale pockets. Yeah, exactly. That he has so, on his hide. You know. So, um, yeah. You know. So you you brought up an interesting point um, because you know we're talking you're talking Star Wars right, which is a very XP. Um, XP is different in Star Wars than it is in D&D, right? Because you so. get XP and then all of a sudden you level up and and then then that unlocks some abilities and powers that you can do, right? And But XP in Star Wars, like, you are unlocking things at lower incremental levels because it only takes five points to unlock something or ten points to do something else. So those those little bits of XP go a lot further than it feels like in D&D where you're like, okay, I got 10,000 for the session, but I got another 10,000 to go, you right. know? Um, and so... Uh, so it, it's kind of interesting that you know you're you're talking like different systems have different um, they have different uh, needs that you that you have to balance a little bit and I think that that is very 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 true um, I think different settings um, have different needs in terms of resource allocation I I didn't get the feeling um, that like a Shadow of the Demon Lord was resource heavy. 
right. um, in its general area. I mean, like, the campaign setting that we're playing with is sort of out in the countryside a little bit, you know, um, in, you know, not far from the desolation. Uh, if we were playing a campaign in the, in the Empire City, that might be a little bit different, where there's exceeding wealth there, right? But... Um, you know, so I think I think you gotta I think you gotta kind of balance it a little bit. I think the Blade Runner scenario comes to mind when you're deciding, like, okay, do I go resource heavy or do I not? And I think that you you know, DMs are gonna have st- different styles, yeah. right? Um, and uh, I know you when you run Star Wars, man. You like I said, you were handing out XP <laughs> like crazy, and you know, part of that was that part of that was because like you you knew that you could. You could adapt the bad guys, no matter how yeah, high fly. we got, yeah. you know. So that wasn't a big deal. Um, I think D and D is an interesting, very interesting system because you get up to level ten, and people are not used to playing past level ten. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you're flush with experience, abilities, abilities, gear, and wealth, and. Um, there's not a lot of monsters that a party can't take down at that level. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and suddenly as a, as a DM, you're like, okay, well, you know, what kind of damage, you know, resistance and what kind of damage immunities am I going to throw at this party? And how are they going to not know that it's resistant? And they have to kind of trial and error their way into doing real damage on it. Uh, You can only do that so many times before that puzzle gets old, which is why the, the old joke is the best D&D players memorize every monster in the mon- monster manual and they know what all their weaknesses are. So um, it, it really does take a, a little bit of thought to say, okay, I know my character, I know my, and figure out what, what motivates your players to play. I mean, sometimes it's modifying the gear, sometimes it's making the gear, sometimes it's buying the gear. There are games like Shadows of the Demon Lord, like you mentioned, where Walt, Rob Schwab was not going after a gear-heavy RPG. The right. gear just was there to help serve the story, and the story was horror, right? Yeah. So yeah. Um, are the players there for the right thing? So if you were going to play like a Star Trek RPG and everybody's in Starfleet, nobody gives a rat's butt what kind of gear you have. Everybody has the same phaser, the same tricorder. Right. And that's all there is to and, it. And money doesn't matter because no you've money. got replicators. <laughs> yeah. Well, see, there's no money exactly. in the future, right? Exactly. So a, a lot of this stuff... You, you kind of have to think through. And in that sense, the resources are different. And if folks yep. don't like the leveling up system, which they didn't in the original Modiphius version of the Star Trek RPG, it was kind of clunky the way that you leveled up. People didn't want to keep playing that character. They'd rather make a new character than play the same character that won't level yeah. up. And I don't know if that's necessarily the right fix. They, 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 they put a fix in the Klingon book that I've got. Um, that's a little bit better. Um, it's a it's a marginal improvement, but um, <laughs> they're like, I don't like this science officer. He all of a sudden puts on a red uniform and is ready for an away party. Exactly, <laughs> and so so um, you get to know your players and what motivates them. You know who in the who in your group is always writing down how much communal gold everybody has. Yeah, Think about yeah. why they're doing that. Who's the first person to stick their hand in the treasure chest? And, you yep. know, and why and what are they trying to do with it and how that changes the character and how does that change the game dynamic? And as a player, there's a certain amount of victory that you feel when your character's leveled up, you have the right skills and you have the right tools and suddenly you're exceeding the, the DM or the GM's expectations. 
that always feels great. And then yeah. you know the next session you're going to get swatted down and you're going to have to come right. up with something else, right? Like yeah. we talked about. So, you know, in the end, you're making music. You're doing this for fun. Make sure everybody's having fun. Yep. And if you're too strict on the scarcity of resources, people are going to go, uh. Yeah. You know, and if, if you're just trying to eke survival out, that campaign may not have, may not last as long. At the, All right. Well, I have I've got one I've got one question that uh, maybe kind of ties a lot of this together. Mm-hmm. How do you put the genie back in the bottle? You largely can't. That's the other thing. So you so yeah. Can't. So you you went too heavy on the resource excess, yeah. right? You gave them all of their stuff, and I think I think this might have happened with you, right? You had your guns, and all of a sudden, like one of them melted. Right? Yeah, they tried. The GM was randomly <laughs> trying to attack them all the time, and I'm like, okay, which feels like a, that is a short-term solution. I've done the same thing. Yeah. Like I, yep. you know, I stole the bad guy stole the good guys' money. They spent it on a ship. The ship got blown up. There's no money. Right, so you got to ask yourself, what's your motivation for putting the genie back in the bottle? Did yeah. you really break the game, or can you adapt to this new reality and tell a different story? And can your story adapt? And you can't be too precious about what you've written or what you think you think the direction you're going to go is. Yeah, the genie, once you go, that, that's one of the problems with resource saturation. Uh, it's yeah. very hard to go back to being poppers. It's very... You have, to, you have to do mean things to the players, and hopefully they've earned them, and there's a logic to it. Otherwise, it's clear that the GM, DM is coming after them. That is, yeah. That's less fun, and then you're back in, like, D&D 3.5, where it was real player versus GM stuff. And Well, you know, and I and I think we've talked about this before, too, which is, like, listen, if, you, if, you, if I've given my player a magic sword that I created, right? That I think, okay, this will be good. And then in reality, I'm like, oh my gosh, that is way more OP than I thought. Yep. You know, um, you may need to have a separate conversation with that player and just be like, listen, dude. Yeah. I, I met, I messed up. I like, I messed up. This is, this is too much. Like, and, and like, I don't mind if it's like totally killing baddies. Like I can always give you harder baddies. But the problem is, is it's creating a discrepancy between you and the other players. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's breaking the game for the other players. Yeah. And so I think if you go to that player and just kind of like, okay, let's talk about how we might be able to tone this down a little bit, you know, or if it's really broken. I think if you just, without talking to the player, came after yeah. <laughs> that thing. Which is what most that, GMs, DMs do, quite frankly. Yeah. And that, then then it, it feels like a jerk. It feels like you're being a jerk. Yeah. You're, you're th- taking away their toy. Yeah, at the end of the day, it all, always comes down to, right, we're here to have fun, we're here to play. Like, if you're doing a one-shot, whatever, it just you yeah, get done with it and it yeah. happens. But if you're, not, if you're doing a campaign, you should always, out of game, you should be checking in with your p- players anyways, with your friends, and saying, are we having fun? Are we, are we yeah. enjoying this? Do you guys like where this is headed? Is this kind of going where we think, or are you not having fun? Is, it, is this good? Hey, guys, you know, I've noticed something I did was, maybe making it harder for us to really enjoy this thing as well. Can we, can we work together to kind yeah. of fix this? Like yeah. talk, right? Be friends. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And you know, and I think, uh, I think that that's how, that's how you have to put the genie back in the bottle. If you accidentally go a little too resource heavy, um, I will say this experience. I have a recent example of giving out too much experience. So, I, I didn't give out too much experience in our D&D group recently, um, but I leveled them up a little too high before they went on to do kind of the main story. 
And so um, they were kind of kicking some butt, like, pretty easily. But now they sort of caught up to where they need to be. And um, because I didn't level them up after, like, the last two sessions. You know what I mean? Because they were a little high. So I withheld... And this is one of the advantages of doing a group level or milestone-based level is that if you if you level them up a little too fast, you can always withhold withhold yeah. a little bit, you know, or, or slow it down as, as you move along. And it doesn't feel that bad because um, if you're doing experience-based, you know, like points-based, whatever, um, at the end, <laughs> at the end of everything, they're going to be like, how much experience did we get? And you're like, you got... 300 points and like but we killed a freaking ice troll like how do we only get 300 points you know and they have to be like oh well i uh, leveled you guys up too fast before well and sometimes i'll say you guys didn't really accomplish very much this tonight yeah they'll say well you've been giving out more why are you giving us less well you guys sat around and talked about what you were going to do for too long and when you did it (laughs) it went real fast and it wasn't hard and it wasn't your your characters didn't grow you you're kind of yeah. cakewalking it and they'll go oh okay sometimes that works too um yeah it just depends d and a little trickier because you have uh, cr ratings and doing the math there and there, there's a lot more yeah. numbers uh, behind it if you're not doing milestones so you know your your, yeah. your mileage may vary depending on how how hardcore rules is written your and what which again what rules is which again, I, I don't think you're there for our milestone uh, versus points discussion, but um, I don't think that I'll ever go back to a points yeah. based system again. You know, I mean, Star Wars has to be just because of the way that you level up. In different games, you know? yeah, different games have different um, needs as far as yeah. But with with D and D, I'm I, I'll I'll I will always do milestone out at this point because it's just so much better for the group. Yeah, yeah. You know, so. Agreed. Um, but yeah, I, I think I think there's ways to put the genie back in the bottle, you know. Um, instead, and and again, like if you've given them too much money, um, instead of having somebody steal their money, uh, maybe start rewarding with them with other things instead. So now they have a new contact in the underworld. Now they have a new title. Yeah. Maybe they have land somewhere, you know. More money, more um, problems. Give them more uh, work to do. I know, I know. Early on in our game, Jason, uh, you guys wanted that in. Like that was such a motivation for you guys to get that in and make mm-hmm. it your own, you know. And um, that's been a that's been a fun point that obviously wasn't like in the book, <laughs> right? You know. Yeah. And um, and that's that was like a non-monetary thing, and it's giving you guys a little bit of wealth. Like you roll some dice for resources, and it might give you twenty gold. But what's twenty gold now? A month when, like, you pick up a, a Chardolin thing that's, like, worth 5,000 gold, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, you know, so, so, I've but at the same time. I've my old hot dog stand. <laughs> yeah, right? So, but at the same time, that in means something to you more than that little jade statue does. That jade statue is just a, a, a medium for gold. Really, and which means more health potions or something else, right? Mm-hmm. Like, but that in means something more for you. And so, like, you know, you can, if you've given too much money, you can give things, right? If you've given too many money things, you can give experience. And I think there's ways that you can start pulling levers left and right to maybe slow down awards without feeling like you're slowing down awards. And you're getting back, you're getting back to the same general thing we were saying earlier, which was 
have something other than wealth and power be the motivation for playing yeah. the game. Yeah. And, yeah. and there is another solution that we did not talk about, which works very well. I don't re-recommend it. Kill the players! Yeah, oh. well, exactly, <laughs> which is like, okay, end the story. Bring in what is the final act. What's the last book in this series? Write that yeah. book and then give everybody plot armor and say, okay, it's 20 years later. Tell me what your character is doing. And we, you just say goodbye to those characters and you say, okay, well... Now let's go play another game, or let's play this game, but somebody else's DM, or something like that. Right. Starting over. Starting over is fun too, and and sometimes, sometimes as, as a as a DM GM, you have to think about that too. Is say, okay, well, there's no rule that says this campaign has to drag on for millennia. Uh, yeah. It shouldn't. You should get to an end point and just say, hey, this is. We're going to gear up to the final chapter. I think it's going to be four or five sessions. And let's just plan around that. And most people are like, great, good, cool, no problem. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Very good. Very good. All right. Well, listen, I I, I think this is kind of an interesting topic because I think people uh, tend to struggle sometimes uh, with like, uh, is there DMing like, oh my gosh, like I've, I've broken the game. And, uh, you know, if you can, if you can kind of figure out from the outset before session zero, as you're coming up with your campaign, like what kind of world am I, or yeah. is it a resource heavy world or is it a resource scarce world? And then you can kind of plan around that because obviously you can't keep it too resource scarce forever. Yeah. Right. And if you are going resource heavy, you gotta, you gotta like have a throttle on there somewhere. So you don't go like way too heavy. And and then also have a world where they can be spending it right and things like that. So, um, yeah, great great topic, guys. All right. Yeah, good stuff. Good fun. We defeated this yeah. topic. We've succeeded. Yes. You all get a thousand XP for this. For Yay! This Yay! Yay! Confetti. Turns out, oh, thousand XP in our in our podcast. Wow, resource scarce here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Justin, you get all the money that we made off this show. That's exactly. <laughs> Again, resource scarce here. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening to our show tonight. Uh, hope you have a good night. And always give us a like, share, subscribe, uh, share it with your friends. Tell your buddies about it. And uh, game on. Nanu, nanu. All right, see ya.